It's Monday, October 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jim Gillies. Good to see you. Good to be seen. We've got a big coffee deal in the works. We've got some earnings, but we're going to start with news out of Germany. SAP, the enterprise software group based in Germany, is having its worst day in more than a decade. <laughs> Shares of SAP are down more than 20% after the company cut revenue and profit guidance uh, for the year. Uh, Jim, they're saying that coronavirus lockdowns would affect demand well into 2021. What do you make of this? Because I, I, I'm, I'm sort of struggling with uh, two competing ideas. And one is that SAP is right um, in terms of overall demand. And if they're right, then that probably uh, bodes ill for a number of cloud-based stocks out there. Uh, the other idea is that this is an SAP thing. This is yes. just confined to them. Yeah, and, and I think you're right to have uh, that kind of of two minds response. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a definitive answer. Of course, if I did have a definitive answer, I probably wouldn't be here with you today. I'd be on a beat turning, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, you're, you uh, look, uh, as anyone who's ever been part of an SAP implementation, I think you're probably taking a little schadenfreude today. I know I am, uh, as, I, as I, in a, my prior career, I got to be part of one of that, those experiences. And SAP implementation tends to take at least twice as long as they originally tell you and costs a lot more. And so I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I also used to, you know, if I heard a company was implementing SAP, I would generally throw them out of my research queue for at least a year because I've seen that movie. Uh, but yeah, this earnings were not well received, but 40 billion plus this morning off the market cap. Uh, they did try the old lipstick on the pig routine. You know, they did talk about uh, strong double-digit growth and earnings per share. They thought you know, growth in cash flow. They talked about their operating cash being up 54% year over year, free cash flow up 79% year to date. But the problem is, you know, and, and this is reminiscent of IBM a number of years ago, where IBM would talk about having these goals and a certain you know, there's 2015 goals and 2020 goals years before. Um, SAP has had what they call their 2023 ambitions. And um, they reaffirmed these 2023 ambitions last quarter, which would be the quarter where coronavirus and COVID-19 really got traction. And without so much as a buy your leave this morning, they have thrown out the 2023 goals, replaced them with 2025 goals, uh, the 2023 uh, revenue expectation and the previous goals were sorry ambitions uh was 35 billion now two years out for 2025 that ambition is for 36 billion Meh, okay they've uh that looks like a slowdown to me sap certainly um they have reduced a bunch of the their components of their guidance Perhaps they shouldn't have been giving guidance during a pandemic. That might just be a little suggestion. Uh, some some things I've seen, you know, the, the, the stock wasn't horrifically priced before this. Uh, I believe it was at about 18 times EBITDA, enterprise value to EBITDA. Uh, it was about five, five and a half, six times sales. There are certainly richer companies out there. But um, when you have this kind of growth slowdown and it comes kind of out of nowhere, 
I can see why the market's kind of puking at it, puking it out. Um, I've seen some suggestion that the former uh, CEO Bill McDermott, who I think has a, an exquisite sense of timing, uh, he left about a year ago to go to service now. Um, there is some suggestion that you know he, he had this big long acquisition string under his belt. Um, then he left and these acquisitions are just kind of all in their own little personal fiefdoms within SAP. They're not well integrated, so he's kind of handed these ambitions and this integration work to the next guy. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of work to be done here, but uh, really the, the, the serious reaction here certainly has to be that, oh yeah, reduce guidance, change ambitions. Like, like you've just thrown out a multi-year plan and just kind of replaced it with another one, and you're hoping no one's going to notice. Um, oh, they noticed. Uh, you know, whether it has implications beyond SAP. I mean, if I was a Salesforce or an Oracle shareholder this morning, uh, I might be a little nervous. Um, now, look, that said, we, we know that the cloud-based transition, which we've seen uh, other companies do very successfully, uh, Autodesk and Adobe being, I think, exhibits 1A and 1B, where, you know, you shift from selling the, the you get the big revenue and earnings hit up front because you sell the license for X number of years, and then you do your service revenue. Um, but going over to uh, this cloud uh, where you get, you know, subscription fee every month, and it's supposed to be um, more predictable results. We know it works when done well, as I mentioned, Adobe and Autodesk. Um, seems that it's not working quite as well with uh, SAP. Um, and we'd like to see if, I, I think you need, you need a few more quarters with SAP, but I'll, if I was a cloud, I'm not really a cloud guy. So, I mean, it's not, I, I find it interesting, but I'm not remotely equipped to understand most of it. So, uh, you know, well, I'd, I'd be a little worried going forward the rest of this earnings season, to be honest. It's definitely going to be something to watch. Um, yep. Although the companies you just name checked, Adobe, Autodesk, Salesforce, Oracle, those stocks are down anywhere from three to five percent today on a day when the market overall is down. So it's at the moment, yep. Wall Street is not reacting like this is a cloud thing. It's reacting like this is an SAP thing. Yes, um, and, and and I think it very very may well be an SAP thing. I just I'm I'm a little worried when a bellwether reports uh, a great slowdown. I, I have I have a long memory, and uh, um, I truly believe the most dangerous words are this time is different. Um, so I I do you know very much remember the uh, the 2000 um, breaking of the Nasdaq bubble. Where you see saw a lot of the former high flyers of the day start. Uh, Nortel Networks would be one. Cisco would be another one. Um, where they came out with in early 2000, March 2000, and into the summer of 2000, they started reporting some some um, some chinks in the armor. And uh, I'm hopeful that that's this is not what this is for the cloud-based businesses. But I'm uh, I, I think you want to watch the 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 competing companies closely going through the rest of this earnings season and indeed the rest of this year. Shares of Duncan Brands up more than 15% this morning on a New York Times report that Inspire Brands is going to buy Duncan. Uh, Inspire Brands is the corporate parent of Buffalo Wild Wings, Arby's, Jimmy John's, Sonic, 
This is, if it goes through, an $8.8 billion deal that would have a 20% premium to where Duncan closed on Friday. And I say this not as a shareholder, but as a huge fan of the product. I'm surprised at that premium, uh, in part because when Inspire Brands, uh, you know, backed by Rourke Capital, uh, when they were building out this portfolio, they they weren't paying huge premiums. They weren't paying a huge premium for Buffalo Wild Wings. They, you know, in in some cases, some of the acquisitions they made were at a point where uh, the restaurant chain in question was either the stock was down a bit or uh, the business was struggling in some way. So it's it's interesting to see this type of premium to a it stock is. that had, that had been doing well. Yeah, if you're a Duncan shareholder today, you're like, thank you, we'll take that. Um, and I agree with you. The uh, some of the deals they've made in the past have been at much lesser uh, multiples. I mean, we they they took a foolish favorite Buffalo Wild Wings from us after driving out the people that made it the success that it was. That's another story. Um, I but I I very I mean this is a hundred percent like look I love this deal if I'm a if I'm a shareholder of Duncan Brands okay because what it looks like to me Inspire is building another. Um, Restaurant Brands International, if you will, you know, and I'll hold up my Tim Hortons cup here. Um, QSR, which is um, Restaurant Brands ticker symbol, uh, they they of course are the parent of Burger King, Tim Hortons, and Popeyes, um, and so it looks like uh, that's what's going on here is that they're building another stable of brands, and it wouldn't shock me, it wouldn't shock me if in three, four, five years you get another chance to own a piece of Duncan. Chris, when this re-IPOs after uh, Inspire Brands has you know, you know streamlined the the food purchasing and all the back office stuff for all of these brands they're putting together, um, but you know the, the, as you mentioned the deal values Duncan's equity at about 8.8 billion. If you throw in the debt, it's over 11 billion. Uh, it's buying the company at about 23 times EBITDA. Which now this is a 100% franchised model. Okay, they own Dunkin' Brand, Dunkin' Donuts, or Dunkin' Brands, and um, and Baskin Robbins. There's over 21,000 uh, point of sales between Dunkin' and Baskin's. Um, that you would expect for a franchise business like this, you expect uh, a premium valuation because these are what I like to call check cashing companies. Uh, all the operational risk is on the franchisor, or sorry, the franchisees. Uh, Dunkin' as the franchisor basically sells you a concept. And, uh, oh, you know, you're going to give us back 6% of your gross sales every month. And, oh, by the way, we're going to have another 2 or 3% for advertising. We're going to handle all those things. You, you, you get the system from us and we, we just take back your money and cash our check every month. Um, you know, it, it's, these can be really great businesses. I mean, if you look at uh, the aforementioned restaurant brands, heck, look at uh, Domino's Pizza would be the one that I would point to. And boy, that's been a, an investing success story for the last decade and a half. Um, you know, but these, these make a lot of cash. Uh, Duncan has averaged about $250 million in free cash for the last five years. The steadily raising dividend has only been... Uh, not even 50% of that cash flow. So there is, um, there's a lot of room here for Inspire to take that money and uh, you know put it into uh, put it into paying off the leverage that I'm sure they're going to use to to acquire this. 
Um, and then uh, from there, like I said, streamline amongst the various brands. By far the biggest bite they've taken. Um, you know, it's it's a great deal for Duncan shareholders, in my opinion. And, um, and like I said, I think you probably will see down the line, you'll see this come back on the public market. So. And between now and then, it'll be interesting to see the extent to which uh, Inspire makes changes at Duncan, um, including, and, and I have to believe this would be very high up the list, would be expansion in the western half of the United States. Expansion beyond the United States. I mean, yes, uh, uh, I'm not sure how well they'll do it in Canada, but I think we have some points here. Um, you know, it just as, as Tim Horton just tried to come into the U.S. and hasn't done spectacularly well. But uh, what I'm interested in seeing is, are they going to take a, a page from the restaurant brands playbook, which is they've expanded like like there's like 18 or 19,000 Burger Kings around the world. A fact that shocks me every time I hear it. Um, but uh, there's a there's less than 5,000 Tim Hortons outlets in the world versus about 13,000 points of sale for Duncan. Uh, not the Baskin Robbins, just the Dunkin' Donuts, Dunkin' Coffee. Um, but what are they doing with Tim Hortons? They're going into the Philippines. Well, you know, I think the brand equity historically in Philippines for, I mean, Canadian Filipino citizens going back and forth certainly know about it. I don't think people, you know, uh, Filipino citizens have certainly not uh, not been clamoring for Tim Hortons brand. So I find that interesting. They're going into the UK they're going into China. Uh, so I, I wonder if they're going to step up and kind of try to take the brand worldwide the way restaurant brands is, because they certainly have a business case for doing so. Um, but uh, I, I think it's, uh, I think there's some serious brand equity in Duncan's as much grief as I give you for them. Uh, you know, and uh, I think they'll probably do at least as well as Tim's in some of these uh, far flung locales, if not better. So good for Inspire for trying something different. Third quarter profits and revenue for Hasbro came in higher than expected. And yet shares of Hasbro down nearly 10% this morning. What is going on here? I mean, this was a good quarter. Their margins are improving. Uh, did they guide in some way that is causing this reaction? See, I'm not sure. I think it was a good quarter. I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit there. Uh, I think it was a quarter. Uh, there were some definitely some bright spots. So they're, uh, they're franchise brands, so the brands that they own or control. Um, which is about 45 or 45% of revenue. Uh, they were up about 4% sales, uh, but their partner brands, so Star Wars, <laughs> look behind me. Um, Star Wars was up, it's owned by Disney, but, but they also do toys for Marvel, also owned by Disney. Uh, that's down. Uh, Frozen, also owned by Disney, was, was bad. Um, you know, and so year to date, total revenues, the revenues were down 4% in the quarter. Year to date, they're down 12%. Uh, so just stepping out a little bit from the quarter, um, things aren't great. And, um, you know, their, their, their film division, they, they bought Entertainment One, Canada's Entertainment One, about a year ago. Um, you know, that's down 30%. Um, or close to 30% year to date. Uh, now, you can blame COVID for that. A lot of production just has been pushed out. Um, but that acquisition, I, I think they'd probably like that acquisition, that $4 billion acquisition. I think they'd like that one back. Um, you know, and, and, and this is something that I've kind of talked a little bit about uh, in other locales. But, you know, toys are surprisingly difficult. I like to think toys, to my mind, are basically 
It's fashion. And fashion is notoriously fickle. And so you got, if you have the next hot thing, fantastic. But if you put a lot of resources into what you think will be the next hot thing, and it turns out not to be, uh, you get hurt. So for example, um, as mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Hasbro does some licensing for, for Star Wars, for the Star Wars property. Um, okay, well, the, the flagship of Star Wars, of course, the last few years under Disney has been the Skywalker Saga movies, which have not been big toy sellers. Um, you can see in my background, you can't see if you're listening to the podcast, uh, I have a little bit of Star Wars in my house. Um, you know, I, we're a big Lego house. Star Wars Lego has been a fantastic property. But Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga, the movies, the toys, toy sales have been very moribund. Um, and, you know, so if you produce a lot for that, you've kind of been, eh, you know, that's, you get a lot of, you, got, you have a lot of discount toys, put it that way, from Rise of Skywalker or whatever. But now then the Mandalorian comes along, the TV property, and uh, they got caught flat-footed last year. They had no offerings for that, deliberately, hide Baby Yoda. Uh, and so this year, maybe they're going to make up for that on that because there's certainly been a lot uh, of, of increased toy interest there. Uh, but you kind of hope they don't overdo it and kind of kill the appeal of Baby Yoda or the child, as they call him. Um, but, you know, as well in the fashion thing, like if you get something hot, you do well for a while, but you have to have a lot of misses. And, and I look back at the, you know, you got Hasbro, you got Mattel, uh, you got Spin Master, which is a Canadian company uh, that does, uh, it's also in the toy space. Um, you know, if, if I told you, Chris, that the last five years, the, the annualized return for Hasbro, now I didn't include dividends here, Hasbro's done 3.3%. Um, Mattel's done terrible, negative 104 uh, even Spin Master, which has had a few hot properties, it's got a little cool last year or so, but um, they've still been 6.9%. So this is, no one's doing anything really exciting here. Meanwhile, the last five years, Spy, so the S&P 500 tracker, has done 10.8. So, you know, if, if there's an argument to say, unless you're getting a really, really cheap valuation, um, and I don't think any of the players here, uh, qualify as such, uh, you're probably just better off just buying the index where you get some exposure, at least to Hasbro and, and, and Mattel, uh, and just not trying to play what's in fashion for for the toy makers because they're going to have some hits, they're going to have some misses. You and I have no ability to predict which is which. So I, I, I don't like these companies as a whole in general. I've never heard that analogy before, and I really like it. It's just that, that like toys are like fashion. They are. <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, <laughs> no, no. It, you know, when you put it that way, I mean, you think about all the apparel stocks that at any given moment, Gap, American Eagle, Abercrombie & Fitch, they've all had six to 12 months periods where that was a great stock to own. Yep. But over the long term... It's, it's terrible. It's ugly. almost across the board. They've been terrible. Yeah. Jim Gillies, great talking to you as always. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.